Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Freeman Means Business Peer Pod podcast. I normally host a podcast called Wonder Women in Business, as well as a podcast called Peer Pod. This is a podcast that focuses focuses on peers in the industry, people who do what I used to do in-house in the law firm setting. Um, and I invite some of the most extraordinary people on the show for my PeerPod podcasts. Today's guest is Jim Gerald. Jim is very uniquely qualified to uh, be a chief business development officer or chief marketing officer. He has unique skill set, something that I thought was uh, outstanding and made him different than others in our space. And that is that he can easily serve as a COO and a CMO and has done both. Um, I don't know too many people who can cross that marketing and operations line so easily, but Jim does. Welcome, Jim. We're so glad to have you on the show today. Oh, thank you so much, Susan. I hope I can live up to that tremendous introduction. <laughs> you can. <laughs> you can. People know me. I'm a tell it like it is gal. I'm a, a WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. So I right. know. You're the same. So tell me a little bit about your background and the services that you offer. Sure. So I, um, I really go about helping my clients by helping them figure out ways to build some structure and accountability into the way that they approach business development. Um, and I structure that either through one-on-one -on -one coaching or through a group training setting. Um, I've developed and um, conducted seminars and training programs on a variety of topics, whether it's related to business development, project management, process improvement and efficiencies, um, legal pricing, you know, uh, leadership and uh, management development, uh, across the, the full gamut of just about anything that you might need in this um, setting. Uh, for law firm clients, and oftentimes eligible for um, continuing legal education credit, wow. including you know, everything from business development planning, cross-selling strategies, personal branding, so on and so forth. And I'm also a certified yellow belt by the Legal Lean Institute for Pro Legal Project Management and Process Improvement. I've earned that designation through um, my studies at George Washington University, where I got my master's degree in law firm management, a wonderful, wonderful program. And I regularly tell people it's one of the smartest thing I ever did for myself professionally. Awesome. Let me ask you something. So this is what makes you stand out in my mind. It makes you different from all the rest of us. Um, hopefully we each have a unique differentiator, but I've never known anyone to have such a special designation as you do with both the um, ability to get involved in pricing. So oftentimes you find law firm marketers or legal marketers, they, they don't know that side of the business. When it comes to providing a proposal to an RFP or a client question about pricing on a matter, um, I usually am hands off. I don't want to go there. Yuck. I'm not touching that. But it's amazing that you can do both um, the the substantive storytelling, the creative side and the pricing. So tell me a little bit more about your experience in wearing both hats when it comes to um, legal marketing. So I got my um, start in legal as a proposal manager for a litigation boutique in the Cleveland market. And I was fortunate to join this particular firm 
and learn a lot about the pricing side of the business development process um, because they were a firm somewhat ahead of their time in a lot of respects in that they were largely um, proposing alternative fee arrangements before many firms were even comfortable saying those words. Um, and, and this was everything from, from establishing flat fees for certain um, uh, engagements to, you know, risk collars and um, contingency fees and so on and so forth. And so through that process of being their RFP manager, firm-wide, I got a really crash course understanding, I guess you'd say, a, a, a literal um, education on the job about how the pricing aspect comes into play when you're trying to bid on legal services. And in particular, with this litigation boutique in Ohio, I learned a lot about the full gamut of what was available out there. And so I've carried that with me um, in the, the stops throughout my career since then and have been able to leverage some of that skill set in unique ways to add value when I could to, you know, um, team building um, conversations when it comes time to figure out who's going to be involved in a pitch and how we're going to price this out or and in some cases um, making the recommendation for the pricing structure and how we might be able to um, differentiate ourselves because of a, a unique pricing structure. What's really interesting is the longer that I've been in this field, the more I run into folks who this is their everyday job. And right. I've been able to learn a tremendous amount from some of them as well. I've worked with some of the smartest people in this field, like Jared Applegate, who is a, a director of pricing at um, Barnes and Thornburg in the Indianapolis market, is one of the smartest people in this field. And I learned a lot just from a short period of time working with him, for example. That is awesome. That is really great. So um, I, obviously the listeners and you know that I'm a huge fan of yours, um, but tell the listeners a little bit more about what compelled you to offer the services you offer to do what you do. You know, I think as a business development coach, it just comes naturally because I'm a natural teacher. In fact, early in my career, I spent um, seven years as a high school teacher, four of it in a private school setting in Ohio, and then three years as a public school teacher in Florida. And nothing quite prepares you for the, the number and um, um, distinct personalities and communications preferences that you find in this world of lawyers, quite like being a high school teacher. <laughs> I mean, I, quite literally, I have seen it all and could probably write the book about it. I mean, that it's, is so it's, awesome. I love that. I love that. Um, some days I might say um, it's more like elementary school, but <laughs> I can say yeah, that now yeah. that I'm not in-house anymore. But yes, yeah, I hear you. And I can see how being a teacher and having those skills uh, would transfer readily into the law firm setting. That's fantastic. Another unique thing about you, one that I did not know. Um, I think that's really, really great. Um, well, what, what, tell me, tell me a little bit about, you know, how do lawyers, I and mean, we know that, that kids could benefit from you as a high school teacher, but you're not that anymore. So how do lawyers benefit from the services you offer? So the things that I try to do to add value beyond just saying, 
here's your business development plan. Let's meet every other week or every once a month or whatever, and we'll talk about the progress you've made. I think, you know, there's there's a lot to be said for that. Where I try to add value beyond that point is that I'm counseling and training these lawyers about how to incorporate what we're talking about in terms of their action plan, in terms of their thought process, to think about business development so that it becomes a natural or more normal course of their day-to-day business. It has to become almost part of their their natural discipline or or just becomes this haphazard or erratic thing that they only think about when they need work, for example, which is oftentimes too late, or you know, uh, the day before or 15 minutes before their meeting with Jim. Um, I've got to think about my business development plan. What I, um, what I have, have been training a lot of the attorneys that I work with on is to start thinking about the interactions that they're having with people and making the connections to their business development plan whenever possible. Thinking about how the outreach to um, certain clients can you can add value in different ways that might have a business development benefit a year from now or two years from now. And getting to think about that that legal sales life cycle from their initial contact with um, with certain uh, people that they're they're reaching out to, and then just getting them thinking about that follow up and what the next steps are so that it becomes natural for them to think about it and they're not relying on me to make the recommendation now yeah obviously Uh that puts me out of business at times but hey (laughs) i think there's i think there's a a a lot of value in continuing that interaction regardless of you know whether i've made a let me just jump right in here and say um that is something that a lot of BD coaches and trainers, um, you don't hear them say that. They, they don't want to cure the patient because they want the patient to continue to come back to see the doctor. But I think that's really where you bring some serious value is you teach them how to fish. You know, you make sure yeah. that they integrate business development in their day to day. It's not just about the practice of law. It is about the business of law and having, um, at least learning up front who's the next rainmaker and who's never going to make rain and how to differentiate between those two people. Um, you can create rainmakers. You're like the, the, the rainmaker maker, if you will. And not everybody, you know, it's not a process of, of fitting the square peg in the round right. hole. It's, you got to figure out the, 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 the unique qualifications and skill sets of the attorneys that you're working with and figure out how to make them successful by leveraging those strengths. Exactly. Um, exactly. I think too many feel like there's a one size fits all and there's not. It's a one size fits one and you start, you work with the willing and then you go from there. Um, let me ask you a little bit. Uh, I have, I want to know a few things that maybe people misunderstand about what you do or, or don't, don't understand about business development, a law firm setting, Jim Gerald style. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Let's clear up the record or set the record straight. I think there's some misconceptions sometimes that once you built the plan, that's all you need to do. That, that just because you put pen to paper that the work suddenly starts coming to the door. Um, having the action plan is important because it gives you a roadmap of where you need to go, but there's 
always an action plan involved in the, that the very words action plan needs something needs to happen in order for you to get to that that um, big picture of, of success. Um, well, yeah. I also think that yeah, well, I on think that, that yeah. On that note, hang on. Let me ask you a question. Um, how receptive have I mean, I know you can't speak to every attorney you've ever trained because you've trained tons, hundreds, but how res receptive are they generally to uh, implementing the plan a little bit on a daily basis or, you know, how's, what's your success rate like? Let's just, let's just say that. So it usually, it usually depends largely on how willing they are to be participants in the process. Gotcha. Um, as coach, it's not my job to draft and send all of your follow-up emails every time you go to a cocktail mixer. It might be, it would be my job to suggest some things that you might mention when you do some of that outreach or help you make the connection between um, somebody you meet at a mixer and, oh, by the way, wasn't this, isn't this person somehow tied to one of your business development targets that we were talking about that you're looking at as a long-term client prospect, you know, helping connect the dots between yeah. the two is where we add value. Um, but being the executor is not necessarily where I add value. No. One of I the things think, that I don't I think you should be that person. You should know, no one in your position should be expected to execute or implement You're, you're there to, help create concepts and give ideas on what they, the Salesforce slash attorneys need to do. Uh, completely agree. And sometimes it takes a, a session or two to get to that point where we're all on the same page, where you start to realize that maybe this isn't going to work out in this particular instance is where you start getting into the third or fourth coaching session and we still haven't made progress on any action item. Yeah. Um, there doesn't there doesn't seem to be any um, any ownership of the accountability, and this is where it becomes important for a coach like me to have a touch point after each and every session where I sort of recap the conversation, say, "Here's where we left things." Oh, by the way, this is what you uh, said you were going to do before the next time we meet, and that you know serves two purposes. It helps number one establish the fact with the, the attorney that I'm coaching that, hey, I'm paying attention to these conversations we're having. And yes, somebody is, is trying to hold you accountable to make sure that you're doing these things. And number two, it gives both of us an opportunity to create a task list for follow-up in the days before we meet again to make sure that we're still on target to do what we need to do. So, so some might say, yeah, a lot of one-on-one -on -one individual business development plans, um, a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations about building reputation and relationships and then excellent client service. What about teams? I, I know you do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching and working with, um, you know, uh, your internal clients, the attorneys, but what about teams? Tell me a little bit. Do you have any experience with client teams? So client teams, yes. Yeah. So one of the things that I've had the very good fortune to do in a couple of firms that I've worked at more recently is help with the, the, the construction and development and execution of a client team model. And some firms refer to it as strategic account management. Some firms refer to it as client teams. It's really about the, the vernacular that fits the culture of the firm. Ideally, 
Um, what that ultimately involves is gathering together the, the right team of cross-functional attorneys um, who have uh, interest in a particular client or who already have business with a particular client to really help leverage uh, uh, across the services of the firm to integrate that client more directly into the firm. As we, we have preached time and time again, and, and I know for you, Susan, this is preaching to the choir, but for your listeners, perhaps, the most the, the best way that you can ensure a client stays with you is to integrate them as deeply into your firm services as possible. That means getting them involved in perhaps um, investing in more than one practice area, in multiple relationships across the firm with more than one attorney. And the best way to do that, we have found more recently, is to put together these cross-functional teams within the firm that are focused on helping introduce the client to other areas of the firm where maybe they may not have um, any business, but where we think that there may be opportunity. Now, it takes a lot of research on the front end because the last thing you want to do is start pushing a practice or a group of attorneys on a client that has absolutely no need for that service. So you've got to be very mindful and pay attention to signals from your clients about what their uh, business needs are. But it's also important that you're leveraging those relationships smartly and effectively so that when the time comes for that client to need a particular service, you've already started building the infrastructure that leads to a natural progression to additional engagement with your firm. And then once they're linked into two or three or four services at the firm, it's very difficult for them to leave. Well, I think that, that you hit the nail on the head. I'm glad to hear you answer that question, that you have that experience, because more and more progressive firms who are transitioning from a practice of law to a business of law are taking on that uh, task of creating client teams or industry teams or you know a team approach to servicing uh, in a seamlessly integrated way their top clients. Um, I know you can't have a team for every client, especially the larger firms, but you certainly would carve out, you know, your top 20% and, and make sure that the, the learning curve is low. You have different lawyers from different practice areas on that team and they can hit the ground running when um, uh, in, in preventing litigation or in growing uh, a company. So, so I always say, we grow and protect our clients' companies. We grow them by transactions work and such, and we protect them through preventing litigation or actually litigating. Um, so right. yeah, teams are a big, big deal. That's really great that you have that experience. Tell me a little bit about your experience with um, any client feedback programs, because I believe that's a hugely um, important part of a law firm and how it operates. You really need to listen to the clients. So I think one of the ways that law firms can differentiate themselves today is through the delivery of their service and how it impacts the client experience. Um, and the only way that you can learn about how the client is experiencing the way they're working with your firm is to talk to them. And so I've worked with a number of firms um, both as a consultant and in, as an in-house marketer to help build client feedback programs that go out, seek the, the feedback from the client, 
do some analysis about what that feedback is telling you, and then you know deliver recommendations uh, on a global basis that impact the way we're delivering service. And make sure that we're reporting back on that to the client so they don't feel like, you know, they're, they're listening to us, but they're not taking any action on anything we tell them. Because that's the worst thing you could do as a marketer, yeah. a business developer, is say, you know, tout this wonderful client feedback program that you have, but you don't appear, at least on the surface, to do anything with that information that you're gathering from your clients. I always say so, better not to ask than to ask and get a directive and then not follow through on it. So, Completely yeah. agree. That's awesome. That's really great. Well, let me ask you, um, what in, in the closing, like the last 10 minutes or so of this podcast, I like to focus on some tactics, some meaningful you know, boots on the ground, what can lawyers do? Or if you want to look at a firm-wide approach, what can firms do? Um, what advice, you know, what advice or tips would you give lawyers or firms? I would say, first of all, in order to um, have a successful business development plan, you have to identify goals. And they need to be goals that you can actually measure against. Um, when I coach attorneys, I um, use the acronym SMART. Uh, which refers to specific, measurable, actionable, relevant, and time-bound goals. Um, uh, specific meaning, you know, what is it exactly you're trying to achieve? How are you going to measure achieving it? Is it something that you can actually do? Is it actionable? Can you actually get it done? Is it relevant or uh, uh, reasonably uh, acceptable in terms of what you're trying to achieve and what's the time element that you're going to uh, make this happen that you're going to achieve this goal like just saying I'm going to increase my book of business is not enough of a goal but saying I'm going to increase my book of business by adding X percent new clients and driving X percent additional revenue by the end of 2019 achieves every one of those uh, letters on the SMART acronym. So having really good goals that um, actually point you in the direction of where you're trying to go is very important. I think just having the plan itself is important. Um, I like to draw the analogy to the Wizard of Oz and how Dorothy and the Scarecrow and Tin Man and the, the Lion, they were all told to follow the yellow brick road to the Emerald City where you'll meet the wizard and he'll send Dorothy home to Kansas. He'll give the <laughs> Scarecrow a brain and the Tin Man will get a heart and the Lion will have courage. So they all have a plan. They have a roadmap of where they need to go. They know exactly where they're going. They know why they're going because they're going to meet the wizard who's going to do all of these things for them. And so they have an action plan and they get it done. If they didn't have that direction, if they didn't have that roadmap, then they might have wandered into the, the, the awful forest of trees and in the and or get lost in the poppy <laughs> fields and never wake up again and you know then the story would be completely ruined for us, right? <laughs> I don't know. I think the poppy field story might be an interesting take or, or maybe a, a sequel, <laughs> sequel, an interesting sequel. Um, the poppy fields, but that's hilarious. But that's true. That's true. They all had a charge, a goal. You know, there are many paths to the mountaintop. So they each had their own path, all on this yellow brick road, as you say. So. Um, 
I would consider the yellow brick road in your analogy best practices. And I would consider, yeah. consider each of their individual charges as customizing the approach you take with each attorney based on his or her skills or uh, desired outcome. So awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, um, one last thing before we say goodbye, I want to make sure that our listeners know how to reach you if they have questions or want to connect with you or just uh, talk more about this yellow brick road <laughs> analogy that I love, <laughs> I love so much. Um, how can they reach you, Jim? Sure. So I, you can reach me on social media. I'm on LinkedIn, um, on Twitter at Jim Gerald, um, also on Facebook. Uh, you can also uh, email me at jgerald at jaffypr.com or uh, my um, office number is 609-858-3863. Awesome. Awesome. My very, very last question. Um, I, I think you're such a fascinating person. You're funny, you're smart. And again, you, you, you have the right brain, left brain thing down both, both sides. You know, you seem to do that really well. Uh, one thing I want to know about you before we hang up is what do you do when you're not working? What do you do for fun? So I am a theater aficionado. Nice. Um, so I, I have found myself everywhere that I've ever been in my career involved in local theater programs, um, whether as a member uh, on the board of directors for a community theater or on the stage or backstage as a director. Um, my undergraduate studies involved a lot of um, theater and music, so I have a bit of a, a fine arts background that really comes out when I'm not working with attorneys or at the office, and um, it's something I'm very passionate about. Um, I love helps. it. I'm, it helps that I'm halfway between two metropolitan areas with incredible cultural art scenes, obviously um, being midway between New York City and Philadelphia in the New Jersey market helps a lot. So I try to get into the city to, to see a show at least once a month. And um, in between that, I, I, I do my own performing on the side at um, any number of community theaters in the local market. I love that. So I knew a little bit about that. I'm, I'm not sure our listeners did. So I'm so glad that I asked that question and that you answered in the way that you did. I think that's fascinating. I think that um, actually lawyers can learn a lot from, you know, they, they step into their own persona and they're actors in the courtroom, you know? So um, if we can get them to understand and embrace other parts of who they are and not be so afraid to ask questions of clients and, you know, if they need to put themselves in, the, in, in another state of mind or frame of mind or persona, if you will, in order to engage with clients and prospects. I think those are good tools that you learn. Completely agree. I mean, being a performing artist is all about conquering your fear. And that's such a huge part of being an attorney in today's market. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I adore you and I've had so much fun today listening to your stories. I learned things I didn't know, which I didn't expect to learn because I know you so well, um, but always a delight and super surprised to hear all these wonderful things that you have going on and that you can do to help others. I, I love people who live in service to others and you're clearly one of those people. So, Well, thank you so much, Susan. The feeling is mutual, of course. Uh, well, absolutely. I'll, I'll put this out within 48 hours and share this with the public and everyone will get to enjoy a little bit of Jim Gerald just as I have today.
Thank you so much. Bye-bye, everybody.